Welcome to The Workplace, where we're hot on the trail of what makes great workplace cultures tick and what we can all do to make the ones we work in better. I'm Andrew Scarcella. Today, we're featuring an episode of another podcast that's fighting the good fight for better workplace cultures, HCMX Radio. Created by research analyst and advisory firm Brandon Hall Group and hosted by their COO, Rachel Cook, HCMX Radio is 150 episodes strong and has some of the best in-depth analysis of organizational culture in the podcast diverse. Their latest episode is about the future of workplace culture and just so happens to have our very own David Sturt on as a guest. You might remember him from our season one discussion with Prabir Jha about well-being. And since David will be back on the workplace in an upcoming app to interview fellow culture expert Tim Coupler, it seemed appropriate to showcase him on the other side of the mic, so to speak. So with all the preamble out of the way, I present to you HCMX Radio's episode 144, How to Build a Great Workplace Culture in the 2020s. Welcome to Brandon Hall Group's HCMX Radio, the only podcast in the HCM arena that weaves current market research, HR technology, and industry leaders into each episode. Brandon Hall Group is a research, analyst, and advisory firm that provides strategic insights for executives and practitioners that are responsible for learning, talent, growth, and business results within their organizations. Our focus is on ensuring continuous business performance. Our research practice areas include learning and development, talent management, leadership development, talent acquisition, HR, and workforce management. Our HCMX radio host is Rachel Cook, Chief Operating Officer and HCM Analyst at Branding Hall Group. Hi, I'm Rachel Cook. I'm the COO of Brandon Hall Group and the host of our HCMX radio podcast, I'm excited to have with me today, Claude Warder, our Senior VP and HCM Principal Analyst. Welcome, Claude. Thank you. Great to be here, Rachel. And with us, we are also excited to have David Sturt, the Executive Vice President of OC Tanner, a 500 plus million global recognition and workplace culture company. David has also uh, is also a New York Times bestselling author of great and appreciate. David's work and and interviews have been published in Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal, Fortune, and NPR, and he co-authors a weekly leadership column on Forbes. He has also spoken at TED Talks and to over 30,000 business leaders at conferences and companies all over the world. Welcome, David. Thank you. Great to join you. Thank you, David. It is nice to be chatting with you today. We're going to be talking about how to build a great workplace culture in the 2020s. This is a follow-up to the webinar that we did with you earlier this year. There were a lot of great questions and feedback from the webinar, and so we wanted to continue that discussion on how companies can build a great culture so that they can engage and retain their best talent. David, you have an incredible background. What else can you share about your career journey that you want our listeners to know about you? Sure. Um, you know, career journeys are always interesting. That uh, my, my journey started with a degree in HR, particularly in training and development. 
And uh, I've always been fascinated with culture. You know, back then we were talking about doing culture audits. We were going into organizations to try to better understand the difference between what senior executives thought the culture was and what employees actually experienced it as. And uh, really ever since that time, been involved in a lot of research, some product development work, and uh, most recently been spending a lot of time uh, in the OC Tanner Institute, where we do a lot of research around workplace culture specifically. And I'm, I'm just fascinated with it because it, it ultimately has such a profound influence on an, any organization's success or, or failure. And, and to me, what, what that culture looks like and how, it has, how it's experienced by those who are part of any organization it affects how much innovation is going on. It affects the business results. It, it affects how people treat customers. Just at just about every level, it's the core of what makes organizations successful. So for me, I, I just find that fascinating in how, how companies really cultivate that. And, and when companies don't have that right, what are the implications and what symptoms do you see of broken cultures and thus ultimately uh, broken results. So that's been that's been my journey. I've, I've spent quite a bit of time uh, studying leadership and uh, and innovation as well. And so from the body of research that we've done, uh, several of those a couple of those books were were produced, and also a bunch of work we do each year on a global culture report. David, I totally agree with you. Our research continues to show the importance of culture, and that it is one of the main reasons employees stay or leave an organization. What is the process for producing your global culture report? You know, we've been expanding it each year. This last year, um, it, it really begins with with uh, doing an assessment of of what are the what are the conversations, what are the questions, what are the issues that that HR leaders are facing. I get a chance uh, because I, I I'm out all over the world, literally sharing the research we're doing. So I get a chance to interact with a lot of HR leaders. And from that, I, I, I hear what are people wrestling with? And, and, and then those serve as inputs into uh, some focus groups that we then hold around the world with employees. We, 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 this is specifically through the lens of employees in 17 different countries. Uh, we do the focus groups. That then helps us better understand the nuances and the sort of the deeper level issues that are at play. And then we go out uh, to over 20,000 employees in a quantitative research study. And then we boil all that together. We analyze over 12 million data points. And, uh, and then we spend several months just scouring through that data, looking for trends, looking for insights around what's actually happening and what's not. Then we we write uh, a report, which is really the tip of the iceberg on all of that data. It's about a 170-page report that, that pulls together not only the research findings, the trends, the nuances by country, uh, but also probing into these areas that are deeply important to employees that they respond back, uh, uh, whether it's effective or not, in their workplace culture. So it's a it's about a year-long process. Uh, as soon as we finish one, we begin the process for the next one. So it's we, we use more of an academic-grade research methodology to really get our arms around what's happening, again, through the lens of the employee. 
What did your research find to be the most significant culture trends for 2020? You know, we there are a bunch of things going on, and, and we track it year over year to see uh, changes. But but there are there are five kind of core themes that that we saw really jump out of the data this year. And each year, there are new things we learn uh, from this vast uh, body of of material. But but yeah, there were there were five things, and I'll just kind of list them, and maybe we can dive into some of them. Uh, first is that traditional leadership is dying. Uh, the, the old concept of what leadership looked like, how, what it behaved like, what was expected of leadership it is literally fundamentally changing. And having tracked this for years and years, this is the first, just in the last two or three years, we're beginning to see this fundamental shift taking place to away from of an older traditional model to a new modern leadership model. And, uh, and, and a set of behaviors that's associated with that. So that's, that's one of them. Another one is around uh, one-to-ones, um, leaders really adopting uh, uh, more of a casual one-to-one um, conversation rather than simply waiting for the, the semi-annual or annual performance review structure to really do the heavy lifting on the on the, on the day in and day out responsibilities of leadership. A third one is around burnout. We saw much higher levels of burnout and uh, we see that continuing to increase and become a real issue, not only for employees, but then subsequently for companies who are wrestling with how do they respond to that and, and what are the nuances behind what's actually happening. The fourth one was around uh, the employee experience and really trying to better understand through the lens of the employee what does exp- employee experience look like? We see every company out in the world working on trying to improve employee experience, but it's interesting looking through the lens of the employee about what their experience looks like and, and what they view to be most important and least important. And then finally, uh, the, the other, and this is maybe an overarching one, that, that companies are being far more intentional about shaping, designing, cultivating their workplace culture and not just leaving it to default or trying to sort of approach culture in more of a, an incremental way, but more of a holistic overarching view. So those are the, those are the th- five big things that we saw in this year's research. There are a lot of similar trends that our research has shown us as well. Claude, would you like to share briefly some of those findings? Well, yeah, like you said, our research uh, uh, and David's research or OC Tanner's research aligns pretty well. I, I would say that um, the, the only thing I, I would add, and, and, and I think uh, David would agree, is that to get at the heart of all this, you, you really have to, organizations really need to delve in and really truly understand what their employees are experiencing. And so we talk in our uh, research about using design thinking and really being immersive to understand uh, what's really going on. And I think organizations really struggle with that. And I, the organizations that do a better job of really understanding the individual everyday experiences and the things that really bog people down. Uh, if you, if you understand that, then you can build up the culture, you can shore up things, uh, you can build better relationships across the organization. So I, I think that's the one thing that I would, overarching theme that I would uh, mention. It is so fascinating. I'd like to go back to David's first point about traditional leadership. 
and how that is changing. David, what is your vision of the new leadership that is emerging and will continue to emerge in the 2020s? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's an interesting, this, this inflection point where, where it, we're starting to see this, this tipping point of, of new leadership. I think some of the dynamics that are driving that point to then how to solve for it. S- some of it is younger employees are literally just rejecting the old, outdated, traditional leadership practices that they're experiencing. Uh, we didn't see that uh, 15, 20 25 years ago, people came into the workforce, they kind of looked around, they they noticed good leaders and bad leaders, and they figured that's kind of how it is. And, you know, you're lucky if you get a good leader, and you're not so lucky if you don't, and you don't have a lot of say in the matter. Whereas today's both millennials and Gen Z employees as they're coming in, they're literally just rejecting that going, why, why do we need to put up with that? Like, Let's let's make it the way it needs to be, and so that's creating a pressure. I think I think another pressure point is that power is shifting from managers to teams. For years, we've talked about a more collaborative work ethos and a and a more collaborative work environment, and and making decisions in a more shared uh, way. And that's actually starting to take hold. And the old command and control type leadership structures are giving way to a much more informed, more inclusive strategy around how to lead. And then that's compounded by over 10,000 baby boomers retiring every single day. They have been for the last number of years. We're all experiencing that in our organizations. It will continue for another seven to eight years. And so we're seeing this this shift happen. and, And I think that's putting the focus on what do we expect from modern leaders? What is it that that we want to have? And I think this is true, not just for millennials and Gen Zers, but it's it's true for everybody. Everybody would rather have a leader that, that, that behaves in and, and demonstrates the kinds of behaviors and mindsets that reflect a more modern leadership need. Uh, for example, in a more traditional leadership mindset, the assumptions that have prevailed for so many uh, you know, centuries has been that the leader knows best. The leader is the one who understands what needs to be done. A primary role for the leader is to direct the work that's being done on their work teams, to evaluate the members of the teams, to determine are they in fact doing what the leader's expectations are, And then further, the third sort of core dimension of that traditional leadership mindset is also as gatekeeper, as one who has access to information, some of it's confidential, and and having that information provides uh, a level of power uh, over the team. And so those have been endemic and just just core to, to kind of traditional leadership mindsets, whereas if you contrast that to the, the core fundamentals of modern leadership, that's going to be more mentor. Everywhere we went uh, in our focus groups, and we saw this uh, pan out in the data, people in all cultures around the world, they want a leader who's a mentor, who can help coach them, who can help them navigate through the various complexities that their job uh, presents. And they they don't want just a boss to sort of tell them. They, they want somebody who can help grow them. 
the, the, the second big part, I think, in modern leadership is, is the leader as a developer of people, helping them upskill, helping them see things maybe that they didn't see before, helping them grow into uh, a greater ability to create new value. That's different than, than more of a evaluate you. You know, the old traditional approach was sort of managing to compliance where modern leadership is really around managing to value creation. And that means helping develop people to be more and more capable as each uh, month progresses and year progresses. And finally, being a connector. Uh, I think that's a hallmark of modern leadership is not being gatekeeper, a protector of the information, a hoarder of the power of the decision-making, but helping connect those employees to each other, to what accomplishment looks like on the team, to purpose of the organization. You can just see and feel this dichotomy between sort of letting go the old traditional leadership mindset and behaviors and, and migrating, morphing into more modern leadership practices that I think are quite frankly enjoyed by all involved, not just those who are being led, but leaders who actually do these kinds of things are happier leaders. They, they feel like they're doing more of a leadership job and having a more relevant role than, than sort of the old traditional models. That's, that's where I see things going. And I, I think I, I feel the acceleration of that energy that, that all companies are trying to figure out. The goalposts have moved here around what leadership looks like. How do we equip our leaders to make that shift? And I'm, I'm of the opinion a lot of leaders want to make that shift they just don't know that it's sort of under underway and that and that I think the majority of leaders want to be better leaders, but we just haven't signaled to them clearly enough what new modern leadership looks like so that they can they can step into that role. Right. And it's it's about transparency from what I hear you say. It's about them being a coach, a, a good connector. Um, no more. It's not just about management and, and making sure that the the job is done, but it's really about being a leader and creating these opportunities for their team and their people to grow. Exactly. I think it's, again, it's a, it's a mindset shift where if you thought your job in the past was to just manage to compliance against very specific outcomes or very specific behaviors, even that, that was the mindset way back when. And that's just different now. We, we, we need to expect more from everyone. And that means empowering and enabling them and giving them all of the information they need to be successful because for a team to, to outpace what they did last year, they've got to do some things differently. And that's just simply can't all come from the leader. That's got to come from those who are on the line, who are closest to seeing opportunities for continuous improvement and new value creation. You, you hear a lot about technology as disruptor, right? Technology, um, you know, every new technology disrupts something old. And we're looking, we're seeing this in all aspects of, of HCM, across the HCM functions from leadership to, um, you know, just to people. You know, this is a disruptive way, but a good thing about, you know, how managers or leaders can be better. 
Agreed. Agreed. I, I think uh, great point. You know, any one of these uh, valuable disruptive technologies, for example, makes us all sort of wonder, well, why hasn't it always been like that? You know, why, why, why did <laughs> the disruption as an impetus to bring about the change? And I think some of it is just the mindsets we get stuck in. And I, I think being mm-hmm. able to shift that it, it, it takes some energy because you, 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 you know, as I talk to leaders who feel like, man, that's just the way it's always been modeled. You, it's no surprise. They're still doing the things that they learned from their leader. And where did they learn those habits from that leader learned from their leader and you just keeps going back in time. Right. So it takes some degree of disruption, I think, to break out of that age old pattern of behaviors that just get ingrained into the next generation of leaders and uh, so I think disruption is a, is a good word for, for I think, what it's going to take to help us all see the future of what leadership uh, requires. Yeah, I, I think the complexity of business now and all the change and all the disruption is really accelerating this change in leadership. I think part of it is generational, but also part of it is that today's leaders uh, using traditional methods, no matter how good they may be at it, you just can't keep up with all, all everything. You can't you can't shape a new thinking, and, and you can't be innovative and creative uh, from a, with a top down approach. You need shared leadership. There needs to be leadership at all levels of the organization, from uh, you know subject matter experts to to teams to frontline, all the way up the line. And it needs to be collaborative. And so I, I think the disruption that we're talking about from technology. And all the other uh, types of disruption in the economy is is, is accelerating this shift, and it's uh, it's a good thing. I mean, it, we it, we can't succeed the way traditional leadership has has been done. Can you describe how you define the new way of managing performance? At what percentage you see managers moving to this process, and what challenges you see for managers that haven't shifted to this new way of managing performance? Yeah, I think those are good questions, and you you uh, you alerted to several of the um, the issues that we run into and see frequently. One is the hey, we'll just throw all of the you know previous way we were doing things out the window and and just sort of abandon them. And I I think uh, what we're seeing in the data is is uh, I think the, the smart companies are the ones that are being very thoughtful about this and very deliberate and intentional about it. Obviously, from a legal standpoint and, and, and just from a fairness standpoint, you need to have some degree of ability to assess uh, individual performance um, and, and ability. It's just, it's just inherent in the process. But I think, I think in the past, so much of the, of the interaction between the manager and the employee was pretty much done at that review level, whether that was semi-annual or quarterly or annually. And so think about how charged that setting is where the the individual employee uh, fully understands that 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 manager holds all the power in the relationship, that they they can not only sort of put down a score and score them, grade them essentially, but it will have an impact on their compensation, on their bonuses. It's just such a, such a one-sided, lopsided structure that that's why managers hated it and so did employees. And, 
And again, I, I think it's what is the job you're 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 wanting that performance process to accomplish, and and just the evaluation reinforces, in my opinion, all of the things that sort of push that employee back into their little box and elevates the 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 power of the of the manager. And so what what I've seen is that yes, you still need to have some ability to to uh, as accurately as you can assess where they are but don't rely on that you've got to have you've got to have regular one-to-ones and i think that's the that's the the shift in the broader context of performance management is getting to more of the one-to-one because in our research we found that 33% of employees dread their meeting with their leader dread is a wow. is- is a painful word, right? Yep. And a third, a third of all employees dread that conversation. Well, why? I think because so much of it has just been that more negative experience, employee experience that they've had in a highly charged, high stakes setting where they really have very little uh, say in the matter. And so what, what we've seen in the data is that what employees love is when there's more of a casual, more frequent one-to-one interaction between the manager and the employee so that it's, and, and, and furthermore, that that agenda of what gets discussed in that one-to-one is not just shaped by the leader, but that in fact, it's co-created between the two of them, that, that both are able to bring to that one-to-one uh, not only the work content, like, hey, I've got this I've got this barrier I'm trying to break through. Can can we talk for a few minutes about brainstorming together how we might crack that? Or or maybe it's just a, a time in a one-to-one where the manager's just literally getting to know how's that employee doing? How's their overall well-being? How's their overall sense of health? How's their level of connectedness to the rest of the team members? Um, how are they feeling about their own growth? And, and so that it becomes a much more robust truly uh, one-to-one, um, interactive, re- real relationship building effort and not just, you know, at, at the service of trying to end up with a score evaluating someone. Right. And that's something I just see as really, really important. We, sh- we sure saw that in the, in the data big time as we probed into that. Claude, did you, have you seen similar things? I've seen similar things, and and I think we're still very, very early in, in, in this journey. You know, we did uh, performance management research, and more organizations are having these ones and one-on-ones. But when when I interview people about what is going on in these one-on-ones, to to your point, it needs to be about connecting and really understanding the employee. And our research showed that the majority of organizations are still spending most of their time focusing on you know, what the employee is doing right that minute and the work that's going to be done in the next week to two or two. There's very little uh, coaching. There's very little feedback. There's very little discussion about maybe career aspirations and other things. So I, I think we're in a slow evolution where it's all been about that performance evaluation. And now uh, organizations realize they need to have one-on-ones but now they've got to get com- more comfortable with really having a connection and building relationships and working with the employee. I think what I'm seeing is it's still pretty tied to the performance evaluation um, and not as much uh, time is spent on really building that rapport and becoming a partner in success with that employee. 
At OC Tanner, you focus on creating great everyday experiences for employees. What is your advice on how companies can do a better job of that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think it's on it's on everybody's mind, uh, and I see just about every HR team working on some dimension of employee experience to improve it in some way. I think it's interesting to to just be be mindful of of what does the employee experience look like through the lens of the employee themselves. I I think a lot of organizations have adopted more of a employee lifecycle um, uh, approach to lay out from pre-hire through the onboarding process, like you say, through development and then through separation and trying to target um, improvement opportunities in each of those areas. It's interesting when you ask an employee, what is your employee experience like? And you get them to really open up on what it feels like to them. For them, it's it's less about a, a linear uh, employee life cycle and it's much more about what constitutes their everyday experience, which really breaks down into hundreds and even thousands of micro experiences that collectively uh, aggregate up to form their opinions about their overall experience. And what we found uh, drilling deeper into that is that the vast majority of experiences that employees have every day are neutral. They're neither positive nor negative. They're unmemorable, uh, kind of forgettable. They're just in the day in, day out uh, sameness that characterizes literally like 85 plus percent of everybody's day, especially once they're, you know, they've been there for a few weeks or months or, or, or years, depending on, on where they are in their, in their career. Um, that's the that's the bulk of it. But what ends up influencing their overall perceptions of positive or negative employee experience tend to be those standout moments, either standout peak experiences that are that are very positive and almost surprisingly positive. They they have a huge halo effect when they happen that casts sort of this this glow across all of their other other experiences. And if they've had really deep negative experiences, the same happens. That that really deeply negative experience will then color and inform their opinion about the rest of the experiences that they've had. And so that that's what we found is that is that these 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 very strong positives or negatives have a much bigger influence than we expect, certainly way more than the proportion of time that they have in the overall experience of that employee. And furthermore, we discovered that the negative experiences on average um, have about a two-week shelf life. They, they, are, uh, they negatively impact uh, not only their memories from before that event for about a week, but after that negative event for about a week. So you get both a before and after effect that's negative. And, and yet when you look at positive like experience, sorry, go ahead. Like an earthquake, you have the aftermath shock from it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's going to kind of keep shaking for a while before they kind of return to a more stable norm. And uh, and then when you look at the positive sides, um, a positive experience actually has a shelf life 
of more like four weeks, not two weeks, which was very interesting to see because, you know, you, you kind of think about it. We all have, we would all much rather live in the positive than live in the negative. And so people tend to want to savor uh, good, positive, sort of happy moments longer than they want to hang on to those negative moments. So on average, it's about twice as much of a time length impact uh, for a standout positive experience. And I think some of that is literally just because work is work, right? We come to work Mm -hmm. and our expectations about the experiences we have are different than the expectations about our experiences, for example, on a Saturday morning when, when we can do whatever we want. Work carries with it a certain expectation and but but these positives are what what we found so striking because when i when i've talked with hr leaders literally all over the world and i ask about the nature of the kinds of employee experience work that they're doing the projects the initiatives that are trying to tackle improving the employee experience the vast vast majority i'm going to say more than 95% of the time tend to be focused on trying to eradicate or mitigate yep. the effects of negative experiences and trying to yep. try to sort of turn them from away from being negative. And the downside of that, then that's fine. You know, we got to tackle some of these sort of negative experience moments for employees. But the downside of that is, let's say you do a fantastic job. You've been working at it for as your team for several months and you finally sort of crack the nut and you now make it so it's not a negative experience, at best, that now returns to forgettable, unmemorable, neutral, if you've done your job right. Right. My next question to you about these positive and negative experiences, do you find that increasing more positive experiences help to prevent burnout? Yeah, th- those positive experiences are are incredibly valuable to to a culture. And again, I think it's because it's unexpected, and people look forward to something that maybe delights and maybe surprises. It's not unlike what we're all trying to do for our customers is is create that that wow experience. And I think when that's aimed at employees to where there's specific experiences that have been either cultivated or encouraged or even designed in to the overall experience, it just creates enormous lift and it causes people to talk about those things. Those those positive experiences impact uh, their net promoter scores and a whole litany of positive things. And I just don't think enough HR leaders are thinking about, you know, what can we do to create more of those peak experiences, not just mitigate the negative ones. And like you say, that that definitely has an impact on on burnout. Claude, did you have a, a, a thought about that? Yeah, well, my experience has been the same as yours. Is that uh, you know when I interview HR practitioners, they're they're focused on on the negative. It's kind of interesting with performance for so long. Uh, managers worked on uh, you know shoring up weak performance, and now they're they're trying to shore up. Uh, weak experiences rather than focusing on the positive. And, and I, I think that organizations are still trying to get used to changing that mindset and that by increasing the number of peak experiences, you're actually building the culture as you go. The more you can 
replicate those great experiences, the culture slowly changes with the improved experiences. And I, I think that, we, you know, organizations are beginning to get that, but they've got to turn that ship around from trying to, to put their finger in the leak when there's a problem to instead trying to be more positive and creating better experiences that then drives culture. I, I think you're spot on on that too, Claude. I, that's exactly what I'm seeing. And I think it's following a similar arc to what we've seen with customer experience uh, work. You know, in the yeah. early years of customer experience, it was all about, okay, how do we just reduce the irritations that our customers are reporting in our customer satisfaction surveys? Now, the, the leading edge companies are all working on what can we proactively do to create these fantastic experiences that then customers will talk about and, and drive advocacy. And it's all the same principles, I think, that are at play. And it's, it's maybe a matter of the maturity of the efforts going in to improve the employee experience. But to the degree to which people can be more proactive in shaping those, I think those are the ones that are going to get the biggest ROI for their, for their employee experience work. David, Claude, you both shared so much great information. I have one more question for David. What are some key things companies need to do to get started on improving culture? You know, I think the first, and it goes back to one of the things that, uh, that I think you mentioned as well, which is start by, by being more intentional. I think, I think sh lay out a little bit of a, of a culture strategy. What is it that, wh what's our target culture? What do we, what do we want to have, uh, have happen? What is it that we want to have employees feel and experience um, what's really important in that? And then simply by being intentional, communicating that out to the, to the leadership teams, this is who we want to, this is who we aspire to be. These are some of the core dimensions of our culture we want to amplify. Again, go to the strengths first and look to what can we do to really make sure that everyone understands these are the core ingredients for us of a thriving workplace culture that's going to make us successful. And then these are two or three practices or habits that we need to let go of, that we need to edit out of our culture by having kind of that overall strategic plan uh, for, for culture improvement, I think goes a long way because so many of what I've seen out there tend to be sort of one-offs. We, hey, we have this initiative to go after this little thing or that little thing. And, and while that's okay, it, it's not necessarily all choreographed together in a master plan for overall culture design. And, and so that, that would be the overarching uh, advice I would give is, is spend the time to lay out that overarching plan, and then you can connect those initiatives and those things you want to target in the middle of those employee experiences to improve that ladder up to strengthening the culture. As Claude said, by, by developing those powerful peak moments, those can accelerate your journey into becoming who you want to become far more than just trying to sort of edit out some of the, 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 the negative side of things. And so Having a plan, I think, is one. I think helping invest everybody in this process. When employees feel like 
culture is done to them. Culture is set by somebody outside of my own orbit of influence then I feel a little bit of a victim to it. And it's almost like I'm going to sit back going, well, show me how you're going to do that. And do I like that or not? And, and, and sort of, they're sort of sitting on the sidelines watching the game. And I think it's really important once you establish these are the core dimensions of culture that really matter to us, inviting everyone to join in in contributing to make it a great place to work for everyone so that everyone can feel their own contribution to that to that goal, and then talk about it frequently. Remind people these are the core elements that matter most to us, and then and then report that out. Appreciate it. Just the simple act of of when people are 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 doing the kinds of behaviors, accomplishing the kind of results, leading in the kind of ways that that you aspire to do it uh, across the enterprise call those out, talk about them, highlight them, notice them, applaud them in their, in their efforts on that journey. And you begin to see some real momentum as everyone takes hold of that. And th- those are some thoughts around how do you get there? It's, it's clearly a journey. It's not, there's no one silver bullet that you can just instantly apply and it all works. But I think being intentional about what really matters to employees, things like connecting people to purpose, connecting them to accomplishment, connecting them to each other. If you're looking for active ways to do that, I think you're doing things that that really impact the company for the long run. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for sharing and for um, diving into your research and sharing some of the the best practices and examples that you are seeing from your your research, your clients, um, the work that you do at OC Tanner. Uh, it's great. So I really appreciate your thoughts and advice here to our listeners. And thank you everyone for listening in. Claude, as always, it's a pleasure having you join me. And, um, and thanks again. Today's a wrap. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of The Workplace. Special thanks to Brandon Hall Group and Rachel Cook for creating such a lovely, informative podcast. As always, this episode was written by yours truly, with original music and sound design by Daniel Foster Smith. If you liked this episode, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and of course, subscribe to The Workplace on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a burning question about workplace culture or a story about why your workplace culture is the best or worst, send it to theworkplace at octanner.com and maybe we'll talk about it on an upcoming episode. The Workplace is sponsored by OC Tanner, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. OC Tanner's Culture Cloud provides a single, modular suite of apps for influencing and improving employee experiences through recognition, career anniversaries, well-being, leadership, and more. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, go to octanner.com.